You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end. Be the bridge community. This is Latasha. I am the, of course, the CEO and founder of Be The Bridge. I know you guys don't get tired of that intro, but I do get tired of saying it. So I am excited because, you know, that's the next thing that I'm going to say. I am excited to have Mr. I'm not going to tell you who it is right now. I'm going to tell you in just a minute. But you, some of you may follow him on Instagram. If not, you need to start following him on Instagram and YouTube and all the places. But I have the fabulous, the wonderful, the brilliant Mr. Garrison Hayes. Um, Garrison is a filmmaker, creator, and business owner who amplifies stories that will change the world. For real, I love the way he storytells. He draws you in. He pulls you in. With over 400,000 followers, I said 400,000 followers on TikTok and Instagram, Garrison has emerged as an influential voice in the intersection of history, culture, and progress. Garrison's innovative storytelling um, situates the headlines of today with the historical context that informs them. His content has garnered attention of millions, landing him on MSNBC, Mother Jones, Yahoo News, US Today, as well as partnerships with the Smithsonian, Amazon Music, and Paramount Pictures and more. Um, Garrison is the founder and creative director of Kindred Media, a video-first creative agency at the cutting edge of culturally relevant corporate media. Kindred Media's clients include Fortune 500 companies like Delta Airlines, Procter & Gamble, as well as top-ranked higher education institutions. When not speaking or creating, Garrison enjoys spending time with his family, on the golf course with friends, and playing pickleball with his lovely wife Simone. <laughs> you know that was going to give me pause. I could not. When I read this Garrison, I was like, he out here playing pickleball. <laughs> now tell us a little bit. I Look, know. Out, out of all that I read, you know, like, okay, doing stuff for the Smithsonian, Yahoo News, like all these different things. I want to hear about pickleball. I know, I know, I know, I know. That tell but, me a little bit. It's like, okay, so it's like if I heard that it's like if um, if table tennis and Batman had a child, that's pickleball. Is that? I it? like that. I like that. I mean, I say it's like if table tennis or ping pong and okay. actual tennis had okay. a baby, it would okay. be pickleball. Like, pickleball. you know, it's 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 funny. My wife and I go out and play. We're like the only black people on the in like in the entire. Okay. That's right. That's right. But it's okay. It's all right. We enjoy it. We're enjoying ourselves. And it's it's a lot of fun. Nice space. Go ahead. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Be the bridge is what I'm trying to say. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, we have a lot of fun. It's so okay. it's a very, very fun game. Easy to get into. And, and the thing that I love about it is like, you know, we're relatively young, but we often play with people who are so much older than us. And, okay, like me, and, like me, right? No, I'm, no, I'm saying <laughs> like 70s. I'm telling you like si- late 60s, 70s, and they're out there killing it. Like, you know, they're not they're not running all over the court, but the placement is perfect and they have you running all over the court. So it's it's a really great inclusive game that anyone can get into at any age, any skill level, any okay. athleticism level, like you can get into pickleball. Okay, so okay, I, okay. I think I need to try pickleball. Try it out, then. try it out, try it out. I, I hear I hear they have like leagues pocket pop, popping oh, yeah, up everywhere. Really really and popular. it's fun, right? Yeah, it's you a lot of fun. fun. Okay. Lot of fun. And it's a little better. Like, is it like do you have to have all the agility like you have when no. you play tennis? No, 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 no. Yeah, because I never made it out of tennis lessons. Like I played <laughs> tennis lessons to start playing with a tennis league, but I never made it to the league. I got stuck in the lessons. <laughs> the, the, the knees got stuck oh in the lesson. So <laughs> this was no, years no. ago. You're gonna love. You're gonna love pickleball. I need okay. you to report back. Uh, okay. Tell the, okay. Tell, tell the listeners. I'm gonna try it. Okay, y'all hear that? We have a pickleball challenge. We're gonna do. I love but, it. But uh, we're gonna be the bridge on the pickleboard pick, pickleball um, court. So yeah, <laughs> that's cool. But um, you know, one of the things that. Um, that I love about what you're doing is I love how, you know, context is everything. Historical context is everything with, with anything that we're doing. And the more creative and um, Lauren that you can be with your storytelling, it really pulls people in. You know, um, I try to do that. And um, when I write, you know, with my books, I love to tell stories, you know, because, um, that's a part of it. And then you have, when you take good storytelling with data and you can, you know, put the the data with the storytelling, that's some of the best like information. And I, and I mean, there's so many storytellers on um, Instagram. I, I was just thinking about, I was like, all these book bands and all the things that they're doing. I was like, first of all, you have the internet. Most people are listening to audiobooks or downloading books anyway. I was like, people are just out of touch with what is really happening in society and how, you know, you could take away books, but, you know, there's always going to be this oral history. And I mean, that's what um, the indigenous community, they trust their oral history more than a book, you know? And yeah. the same thing when you go into... um go to Africa and you go into some of the the villages and the people are not just um you know you know telling you the story but they're living the story out and the same thing when you go to Egypt I mean when we go and you look at the pyramids and there's a story that's written you know in pictures on the wall you know so like mm-hmm. um all all mm-hmm. history is 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 really important and um and even that's when we think about that that's even how like um, as a person of faith, that's even how scripture started, you know? That's right. Life lived. And so and so I think that's really important. So tell, I, I gave your bio. Tell our audience. We have a very um, mixed audience, you know? These are bridge builders. These are world changers. These are people who are, um, you know, being transformed in their life so that they can transform their communities, you know. So we we have a lot of racial bridge builders that are following us. Um, there's there may have been something I missed. Tell our audience um, a little bit about who Garrison Hayes is 
outside of what I just read. <laughs> no, no, that's that's great. Well, first of all, yeah. thank you so much for having me on your yeah. show and being able to talk to your people, um, yes. these bridge builders, these world changers. It's yes. just honestly a privilege and an <laughs> honor to be here and to to be with you. Um, listen, I, you know, I to your point, I love storytelling and mm-hmm. I think I got a, a true appreciation for storytelling from my grandmother, who is a real storyteller. Mm, she, yes. as long as I can remember, she's been telling me stories from her childhood and adulthood and just like really helping me to understand what it was like for her growing up. And and so that's given me this profound appreciation for um, the way the word is passed in the Black mm. community in particular. Um, yes. There's a power to the way we pass down stories mm-hmm. and the way we share um, our, 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 our experiences uh, from one generation to the next. And I feel this real appreciation or it really is more of a responsibility is what I'm trying to say. I feel a real responsibility mm. to both carry those stories and then pass them down to the next generation, which right. I'm not that old, right? Like, I know, I, who, right? Who, who am I to say the next generation? <laughs> but... <laughs> you are the generation. <laughs> I, I'm the, I'm the generation. But you know what's so, so crazy about being on TikTok is like... Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you mentioned book bands. You yeah. know, I get to tell true, real, raw, mm-hmm. you know, often hidden Black history stories mm-hmm. to 12-year-olds and 13 mm. and 14-year-olds. These are young people mm-hmm. who are really, you know, beginning to understand the world for themselves and, and right. learning, you know, history in school. And, and so I always get the comment like, why didn't I learn this in class today? Like, why right. aren't they right. teaching us these things in school? Right. Um, and I think that's a real privilege as well. And and also a real burden and responsibility that, that I am just really happy to be a part of the group of people sharing that kind of history. Um, so of course I get the appreciation for storytelling from my grandmother, but you know, I was, I was a pastor for Mm -hmm. about, uh, three and a half years or so. I'd been a minister for the better part of a decade, but I pastored Mm -hmm. a church for about four, just under four years. And, um, the word of God is is full of stories. I mean, that's what it is. It's a storybook. It's a book yeah. of stories. Uh, when Jesus was here, you know, I don't know how religious this podcast is, so I don't want to get... Yeah, we, oh, we, 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 we faith-based. Yes, Okay, definitely. we, we in ahead. the word? Are Come we in the word? It. Come with it. Come Are with we it. in the word? Okay, we're in <laughs> yes. the word then. All right, so when, <laughs> when Jesus yes. wanted to break down these really complex ideas around salvation and the way mm-hmm. we treat each other and equity yeah. and, and disrupting the status quo, mm-hmm. he used story. He yes. said, "It's it's it's like a it's like a man who went out to sow some seeds." Right? Yeah. He, he he said, "It's it's it's like the a, a rich man and, and a poor yeah. man. He's mm-hmm. it's like a ungrateful uh you know work." Any so it, it's he used the the power of story to help us to understand yeah. these really complex ideas. And I started making content from that place of yeah. you know we I started my I started creating on TikTok in in January of 2021 so this is about 6 months after the height of our you know racial reckoning as a country mm-hmm. and what really motivated me was this idea that you know honestly I think we were having some really important conversations for many people mm-hmm. for the very first time which I think was great yeah. um, but what I found was that many of those conversations were bereft they were they were missing the historical mm-hmm. context Um, And you need that historical context in in order to understand where we are today. You can't understand George Floyd 
without understanding segregation. Exactly. Without, and you can't understand segregation without understanding redlining. And you can't mm-hmm. understand redlining without understanding, and we can keep going back yep. and further and mm-hmm. further and further back mm-hmm. to understand the context that really brings us to today. And I think it has some really important kind of uh, benefits. Mm-hmm. One of those benefits is that if we understand that context, we can, yes, of course, better understand where we are now, but we can also build a better future. Yeah. And and that's my whole thing. And that's why I do what I do and mm-hmm. make the content that I make. Yeah, yeah. Because then I think people don't even understand, like, when we start talking about, like, um, you know, what the Dred Scott decision did and all these different things that we don't learn in school. And this is the thing, I didn't learn them either. And I'm a, p- a part of Generation X you know, um, we're, we're small, but mighty, you know, you know, we, we were the bridge, you know, Mm. you don't get me started on Gen X because I can go (laughs) on and on. Like you are here because of us now. (laughs) But, um, but listen, you know, it's, it's really important. And I think that's one of the things that I have learned as a, as a, as a, um, what you would say, a, I guess I don't even call myself an activist or educator, but as a teacher, as, um, someone doing this work of racial literacy, um, one of the things that I've seen is when you go and people understand, they know what's broken, but they don't understand how we got here. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand completely the brokenness, you know? And so when you can give people context of, okay, this is how we got here. This is why our communities are racially segregated. This is why churches are racially segregated. There are people in our country, they don't realize that churches are very segregated because, you know, people of color were not allowed to worship in white churches. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people who come here from even from other countries that um, I had some friends from El Salvador and Guatemala and they saw um, Selma and they were like, that happened in America? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and so they have no context. And so, but when we give people truth, we understand that the truth sets us free. It Mm. makes us free. It allows us to understand. And I think that is the fear of what's happening. Because if you can keep people ignorant, if you think through any oppressive um, nations or or, um, totalitarian, um, authoritarian um, governments around the world, the first thing they do is attack truth and Mm. information. And so... With that, I think, you know, when we say the, I call it a racial wreck. Mm. I don't even say reckoning, you know, completely because like, you know, we got six months into it and then they started coming up with the boogeyman and all the things, but there were, hearts were being transformed. Hearts are still being transformed, but there was a fear because unlike what we saw in the 60s and the 70s, most of the marches and the reckoning and the revivals that we saw involved people of color. This time, you had young white people, older white people, white churches, Asian churches. Like everybody was a part of this. You had people protesting in Norway. And I'm like, you know, well, who in who in Norway? Yeah. What, what they, what they got going there. on? We're there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, this was something that went from America to global. Mm-hmm. And so, I think um, that is a fear, a fear of losing power. So, I am, I am excited. This is our Juneteenth. We always do an annual Juneteenth. Um, 
a podcast. And we like to bring people on like yourself that can give us some historical context of Juneteenth. Now, Juneteenth, uh, we do understand that um, in June, I think June 17th, 2021, Biden, Biden, um, President Biden made it a federal holiday. Um, I know a lot of us were like, okay, we're okay, thank you, but you know, did you right. ask us? Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, did you ask us what we wanted? Like, this ain't right. really what we wanted, but okay. So I really feel like we have to take advantage. Um, how can we better utilize this day, not just as a day off, but a way to storytell? So I, for those who are listening, because growing up on the East Coast in North Carolina, I had really never heard about or understood what Juneteenth was until I moved to Texas. It's very big in Texas. There's parades and all the things that you see um, in Texas, but there's a disconnect from um, the rest of the world as it relates to Juneteenth. So a lot of people got this federal holiday and was like, what now? What? But I think we know more about it now. Mm-hmm. From 2020, most people are learning more about it. But I want you to give us a um, a brief synopsis for those who are listening that don't really understand um, what Juneteenth is and the importance of it. Sure. So I think the easiest way, the clearest and simplest explanation of Juneteenth uh-huh. is that it's the day that celebrates the official end of slavery as we knew it at the time on June 19th, 1865. It's the day when Major General Gordon Granger arrived in a place called Galveston, Texas, Mm -hmm. to share that the Confederate soldiers had surrendered, that the war was over, and all enslaved people were free. That's the the top-line sentence of Juneteenth, right? If we were to dig into a little bit more of the context we'd understand that there's actually a t- there's a lot more to this story there's so this this it's not a simple easy thing um we celebrate juneteenth today because it is it was the last place that received that news um that we knew of at the time but 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 now we have the privilege of looking back in the oral histories that you've mentioned uh, research that we found where we learned that some people did not learn that they were free from enslavement in rural pockets uh, yeah. throughout the South. They didn't learn mm-hmm. for decades. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Decades after emancipation, the war has yeah. been over. Yeah. Black people are, uh, you know, supposed to be free, but some slave owner, some communities mm-hmm. were tight-lipped about your freedom and and kept you in bondage for decades later. Okay, that's a different story for a different day. Yeah, we might need yeah. to actually talk about but that. But that's, that, that's, that's a real thing. It's real. It's an important yeah. thing. And Up into the 1900s for some That's, ex- that's yeah. exactly right. It's very, yeah. very important that we call that out and we talk mm-hmm. about Juneteenth. Um, but the day is a day of celebration that, you know, as far as the people knew at the time, you know, they did not know that there were these pockets, these places where folks were still being held in bondage, being sold a lie. Um, and so it's a day of profound solidarity and celebration mm-hmm. uh, for emancipation. And the reason why I say solidarity is because there are a number of emancipation days. Um, in Virginia, uh, it's April 3rd is the day when enslaved people there were uh, set free, were mm-hmm. emancipated. In Florida, it's May 20th. In Georgia, it's mm-hmm. May 29th. 
Um, but we celebrate Juneteenth because that date commemorates the last day. There's, it's the it's the day when the last group of people, and there are some practical mm-hmm. th- kind of things happening here, right? Like, uh, you know, Robert E. Lee and the Confederates, they surrendered in the North at Appomattox in Virginia, mm-hmm. right? And that news, we didn't have email and text message. So that news had to trickle down through the South to get really, really far down to like one of the furthest South points in Texas, which is uh, the island yeah. of Galveston. So that's yeah. Juneteenth. It's a, uh, I think the, the proper word is portmanteau. It's the bringing together of the words June and 19th. And, uh, and, and that's the that's the explanation. Yeah. So Robert E. Lee, you know, he um, surrendered yeah. in Virginia after they lost. That's correct. Know, after they, they lost. lost. Yeah, they, they lost. lost. And, and the interesting thing is like everyone knew they lost. You know, if we yeah. can give a little bit more uh, context. Mm-hmm. The reason why Abraham Lincoln was assassinated was because folks had started surrendering. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Confederates... Those who were Confederate, you know, members of the Confederate Army or Confederate States or at least sympathizers, they saw the writing on the wall. It was over. They, mm-hmm. they, they'd been defeated. The country was moving on and coming back. The Union was going to be reunited. Mm-hmm. And so it's only decades after the war was over when there is a real uh, understanding that the Confederate States of America lost the war that we see the daughters of the Confederacy um, pop up with what we would identify as a revisionist history, um, yep. changing that history in order to honor their fathers and their uncles and their brothers who'd, who'd fought in the war. They wanted to kind of redeem them. And so there is this, this narrative of the lost cause that pops yeah. up, um, which I think is actually very relevant to Juneteenth. Um, yeah. You know, in the years after the emancipation of Black people in this country, there's this thing that happened called the scatter. Um, Mm -hmm. And the scatter is the time when formerly enslaved Black people all over the country started just going everywhere to find their loved ones. I heard that my sister was sold off in Georgia, but I'm in Texas. And I heard that that my my best friend in the world was in Tennessee, but I was in Alabama. So so they're going to find the people that they love. Their loved ones, yeah. And I love this detail because I think often when we talk about uh, slavery in this country, we're, we don't do enough work to humanize the people mm-hmm. who had been enslaved. These were folks with deep abiding relationships, just like you and me, who mm-hmm. didn't get along with some folks, loved some folks, had family members, had mm-hmm. friends, right? We got to really do the work of humanizing, um, mm-hmm. you know, the enslaved, the, the formerly enslaved people. And so, uh, you know, it's very important to know that this scatter happens. And, yes. and in the years after emancipation, um, Black people in America saw a profound amount of success uh, mm-hmm. during what a, a period called Reconstruction. And during that period, Juneteenth celebrations were all the rage. They were like, hey, we are really out here enjoying ourselves, celebrating, eating red foods and watermelon and strawberries and, and having a phenomenal time. There were recitations of the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm-hmm. There were parades and rodeos and baseball games and songs and joy and freedom. It was a beautiful, beautiful time precisely because the Union Army was occupying the South and ensuring the protection to a certain mm-hmm. degree of Black people's rights to gather, right mm-hmm. to celebrate, right to vote. And mm-hmm. so we see Black people elected to Congress and Black governor and lieutenant governors. And, and we see all kinds of incredible progress 
in the years, in the decade immediately following um, emancipation. Um, but, you know, this group, the Daughters of the Confederacy and others who are kind of a part of that legacy began to advocate for the removal of the Union Army. And that's when we see black codes reinstated, which limited the freedoms and the movement and the gathering ability of black people, uh, laws that made it mm -hmm. essentially illegal to be black. Yeah. And those laws completely stymied the progress yeah. and, and the celebration of Juneteenth. We saw mm -hmm. Juneteenth as a celebration begin to kind of die out for a time and, yeah. and become much more of a private um, celebration that you would see maybe in church and in black communities like Greenwood yeah. in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, or in small black enclaves mm -hmm. in Texas and, and across the South. Um, but you didn't see the large parades that we saw in the years immediately following emancipation. And, and that's another really, really important part of, of this, this holiday. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was silence um, and it was replaced with um, racial terror, you know, in the South after the um, Hayes Compromise, you know. And so it just shows you, you guys, like elections are so important um, because they impact people. And so and when you don't humanize a group of people, you get some of these results. And so with 10 years of, you know, when you're given, when you exercise your agency, when you are um, celebrating, like you, you are given your God-given dignity um, in a sense. And, but it's having to be forced. So you, we know like to change culture, something that had gone on for centuries, you're not going to change that in 10 years time. And so I remember um, one of my friends when I was living in Texas, you know, Texas has this revisionist history and I had never experienced anything like it. I mean, North Carolina is bad already. I grew up in North Carolina, but just going to Texas is like they have this way of telling history and they'll tell you like it's fact. Like, and I'm just like, hmm. have you read the secession documents? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you were treasonous. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, well, like just period. Just, <laughs> yeah, it's like there's facts. Like, if you just read the secession doc documents, it tells you what the war was about, all of that. But I just remember going to the Capitol in Austin and, you know, looking at some of the, I love history. So I was just looking at um, the grounds and some of the pictures and you can see about, I think it was about seven um, like black men who were elected during that time of reconstruction because there were numbers in the South um, to do that. You know, when people were allowed to vote, they voted. And um, and so you see this. And so she kind of told the story like, you see, like, you know, there's been th th it wasn't that bad. Look, they were elected. <laughs> just like, why? Do you understand why they were elected and then why that shifted from after 1875? Mm -hmm. You don't see any more <laughs> mm -hmm. for like decades later. You don't mm -hmm. see any more. And very few even now, you know, there's a reason for that. but. It's just so funny when we tell history um, to give that context is so important. I wanted to talk, you have this video um, and it's, it talks about urban renewal. And I think mm -hmm. this is also important to the conversation when we start talking about Juneteenth because like I, I have this, I love the holiday, but I don't want it to become removed from the meaning. Just mm -hmm. like you, we have MLK Day. This is a day of volunteering. Um, this is a day of education. 
But, you know, it just becomes another day off, just like a lot of other holidays, you know, Mm -hmm. that we have in America. But how do you know, there's a way we I think a way that we can honor these days is to like um, do things like special podcast videos where people are getting educated, but also giving people a directive. So we're going to give some people some directives at the end on what they can do around Juneteenth to make sure that this holiday doesn't become watered down, mm-hmm. um, that this holiday can become a day where the next generation um can choose to do better and be better, you know? And so you have this video and you were talking about urban renewal and you specifically talk about, um, you talk about, I think Atlanta, I think you mentioned um, Nashville and there's a, you can, you can um, tell them what urban renewal is. And cause this is something that was happening in the sixties, a little history about that, because a lot of people don't understand like, how the the how geographical racism um impacts um mm-hmm. the community and how we're living through that now and even with gen- gentrification all the things they're having to do to create livable space or a better space in some of these areas i think about the um east side of um of austin the infrastructure was horrible mm-hmm. but there was a reason why the infrastructure was bad mm-hmm. although those pe- same people were paying taxes so mm-hmm. if you can just tell our audience a little bit about urban renewal and then we're going to actually make sure we put that video in the show notes so that people can can um um listen to it because i really think it's a great video that really um pulls you in in a and I love things where we can take complex issues mm-hmm. and make them understandable mm-hmm. but not in a 5 hour long <laughs> dissertation <laughs> yeah, yeah. you yeah. know yeah 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 so so could you tell the audience a little bit about urban renewal and um a little bit about the video yeah. So urban renewal, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, definitely go check out the video. I'm, yeah. I, you know, it, I'll be much more su- succinct and to the point in the video than I will be <laughs> here, uh, but I'll do my best, which you I know, know I sprung this on him, y'all. No, 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 we're good. We're good. We're good. No, but urban renewal was this period in American history um, mm-hmm. that really serves as what I would call kind of the precursor or the original gentrification. We have a lot of great conversations about gentrification today and the ways in which it's changing. You know, neighborhoods are changing Uh when kind of people from higher income, you know, groups, you know, tax brackets come in and they kind of change the character and the look and the feel and displace the people. Mm -hmm. Well, that has some really interesting origins. Um, That process has really interesting origins in something called urban renewal which was this period of time in the 50s and 60s where the federal government gave billions of dollars to cities for the purpose of displacing Black and Latino people. That is, I mean, you know, it it really can't be said any clearer than that. Um, The federal government was actively involved in giving Mm -hmm. billions of dollars to cities for them to uh, displace Black and Brown folks. And what that looked like often um, was running a highway uh, through demolishing or running a highway through Black communities. 
Um, and in, in order to really understand how effective this, excuse me, excuse me, how effective this would have been in displacing the black community, mm-hmm. I highlight a couple of like really specific examples. So I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and there was this pocket in North Nashville um, that was the black kind of center. You know, everyone knows Nashville as Music City. Well, you know, if you've spent really any time in Nashville, you'll know that it's not just country music here. There's right. a lot of there's a lot of music in yeah. Nashville, jazz yeah. and blues and country, but also hip hop and R and B. Like like there are so many phenomenal recording studios and, and engineers here that everyone comes to Nashville to record. Right. And they'll stay and they'll live here. And, and it's really a beautiful place because of that. Um, that history isn't just recent history. That It's been that way. Um, people like Little Richard got their mm-hmm. start here. Uh, Duke Ellington, who was really yeah. instrumental in the Harlem Renaissance. And and B.B. King and others. Yeah. Really, uh, Jimi Hendrix. They, many of them really saw Nashville as a launching pad for their careers. Mm. And often that place where they were kind of that the enclave in which they lived and and worked and played and performed was in North Nashville. Hmm. And in the 1950s and 60s, um, the North Nashville community was destroyed. Before its Hmm. destruction, this was a thriving upper class black community where um, we saw so much mobility for Black people that one of the first Black-owned banks was founded in this community. Mm. Fisk University, uh, where um, Representative John Lewis went to to, to university, Mm -hmm. is in this community. Meharry Medical College, which graduates a ton of Black doctors. Mm -hmm. It's in this community. This was a thriving community. And then... Urban renewal comes around and they run a a highway straight through it, um, disrupting Mm -hmm. this community in a way that it's never recovered from. To the point where Mm -hmm. in 2018, uh, North Nashville was uh, one uh, was was awarded the distinction. I hate to say it that way. I'm being a a bit tongue in cheek, (laughs) but it it, it had the distinction of being uh, the most incarcerated zip code in the United States of America. If you lived in North Nashville, you were significantly more likely to have spent some time in your adult life in prison. Um, And this is like night and day different from what North Nashville used to be. And this isn't just a Nashville story. The same can be said in Atlanta, uh, a a community called Sweet Auburn. If you've ever gone over to where MLK grew up, Mm -hmm. you'll have to get off of like this nearly spaghetti junction-like kind of exit on-ramp thing. Mm -hmm. Well, well, all of that was a part of a thriving community at one Mm -hmm. time known as Mm -hmm. Sweet Auburn. Um, You can say the same thing in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Many of us know about the Greenwood District and the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. Mm -hmm. Well, their goal was to burn down this thriving Black community in in 1921 in order to put a railroad through it. They failed. The Black community fought back and were able, they were able to win um, some incredible, you know, uh, legal, you know, they were able to take legal action and win Mm -hmm. to become the, uh, what's known as Black Wall Street. But that was the 1920s. In the 1950s and 60s, uh, urban renewal comes around and they destroy that community and run a highway through it. This is a really important part yeah. of American history that I don't think we talk about enough yeah. because many of the, the the poor outcomes that we see in Black communities in our cities, yeah. if there is a Black population in your city, it is likely 
that they live and exist in a poorer condition than their white counterparts, that mm-hmm. their communities aren't as well resourced as their white neighbors' communities are. And this is a direct result of policy and action that communities and this country has taken to actively disenfranchise these people. And, and it kind of, for me, Latasha, it really kind of like makes you wonder why. Like, man, yeah. like, do y'all, you know, do they just hate Black people? Why? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. What, yeah. What's going on here? It, it kind of raises yeah. those questions. Um, and where I, I land is like, you know, political expediency and selfishness are powerful, powerful, yes, powerful yes. things. Um, if you can get a little bit something for me and I can get you to reelect me and we can make more money, mm-hmm. these are powerful forces that that yeah. lead to some terrible outcomes. And, and so yeah. um, that's just one example um, of the ways in which this country has done a terrible harm. And this wasn't slavery times, y'all. You know, yeah. we don't have to go back that far to find um, these really terrible things, 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 really terrible things. Well, hello, Be The Bridge podcast listeners. Happy June. I am so excited, really honored to announce that June is my birthday. Just kidding, but it actually is my birthday. But there's something else that is special about June, and that is the Be The Bridge anniversary month. For the entire month of June, we are celebrating God's faithfulness to us over this time. I'm telling you, it has been a journey. It has been ups and downs, a lot of surprises and turns. But in the midst of it all, God has been so faithful to us. As we celebrate our anniversary month, I want you to know that we are in the midst of planning some exciting new courses that will launch in the fall. We're updating, we're continuously updating our curriculum, and we're creating opportunities for bridge builders to engage and grow at all levels. So I want you to stay tuned for some exciting things that are coming from Be The Bridge that's really going to help equip you to do this work of racial literacy so that we can all live in a reconciled world. That is something that I dream for. That is something that we want to see reimagined. And we can partner and do this together. Each person doing something equals something. You can support and sustain our mission as a recurring partner. Um, You can join the exclusive blueprint community at be the bridge.com forward slash give um if you can't contribute on a reoccurring basis we understand that things are tight that's okay make a one-time gift and help us continue to produce the programming like our podcast this work is only possible because of your generosity of bridge builders like you so join us at be the bridge.com forward slash give and let's keep building bridges together and let's really commit to shifting perspective and reimagining our systems and changing the world. You know, my parents were born in 53 and 52. And so they were alive. They were a part of this. They, you know, my parents went to segregated schools. And so this was a part of this. So this is not 
you know, ancient history. This is um, current history because we are dealing with the ramifications of that now in our communities when, um, you know, when we look at underserved communities. And that's why it's important when we say politics are about people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like, you know, a lot of these issues of injustice um, really, especially racial injustice, should be bipartisan issues. And, And they're not, you know. And so indifference is a powerful thing and mm-hmm. it fuels hate. And um, and so when we look, when you break something, you know, um, I always give this example when I talk, if, if you know, it's, none of this is our fault. You know, we didn't do it, but we also benefit from it in some mm-hmm. ways. And so we didn't break it, but it is our responsibilities as believers to be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And so... That's important for us, you know, because you don't get a you don't get an out because, you know, you're saying, well, I didn't own slaves and you weren't a slave. That's no, that's that's not that's not how scripture works. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like we're we're supposed to care about the other. And so if one part of the body is suffering, all the parts suffer with it. If one part of the body is rejoicing, all the parts rejoice with it. So we are connected in this. You know, we are part of the body. And I think it's, you know, there's a different standard as it relates for 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 Christians that we have to uphold. And so I think that context is really important because I'm pretty pretty sure there's people that's listening right now that live in Nashville and that visit North Nashville. And they probably put the blame on the people that are there, not understanding all the generational trauma, um, all the generational wealth that was not, that could have been um, all, you know, and we're not even going to talk about businesses that were burnt, um, banks, um, you know, we can go into the Freeman's Bureau, like all the things that were corrupted and money stolen and all of this time and time again, but still in the midst of that, you manage to survive. Mm. You manage in some ways to thrive. And then we have this new, um, what we would call um, a pushing out through some forms of gentrification, you know? And so we have to understand this and make sure that we're not being a part of the problem, but we can do these things with justice in mind. So it's nothing wrong with the area improving and getting the resources and the infrastructure that it needs, but we have to make sure that we're doing it in a way where justice is prevailing, that where we're looking out for the others. And I think that's just really key as we hear these stories. So when we talk about Juneteenth, um, you know, what are some things that that people can do to keep the spirit of of Juneteenth alive? I mean, like, I, there's things I'm still learning, like about all the red foods and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't like red velvet cake and all yep, these different yep. <laughs> things, you know. I, and we could talk a little bit about that. But um, what are some things that you feel that, um, and and really a way to honor the lives that didn't get to see mm. justice prevail, mm. you know, lives that are not communities that are not seeing justice prevail. What are some things that we can do as a community to not water down Juneteenth? Yeah. I think it's a, a very, very important question that I think we're all on the journey to kind of learning and figuring that out together. Mm-hmm. And and so I want to encourage us to go on that journey and to be on that journey. Um, what I think is really, really important 
is that we recognize that Juneteenth has always been about solidarity. Um, the reason why I shared that history of, of other emancipation days is, you know, at, we could have, as a Black community, selected in any number of days. Well, yeah, let's, right. let's, let's pick, you know, hey, let's pick the Georgia day, you know, May 29th, <laughs> right. right? That's fine. Right. Right? It's, it's a lot of us in Georgia, so it's fine. Let's uh-huh. do that one, right? But the reason why we celebrate Juneteenth is just because it's understood as the last day, right? It's the, it's the mm. one where the last group of people learned this very, very important news. Mm. I think that's important because it's really an invitation. Juneteenth is an annual invitation for us to think about those who are still looking for freedom, who mm. are still waiting for emancipation, and to stand in solidarity with those groups, to say, I'm not going to be able to celebrate until everybody's, none of us are truly free until all of us are truly free. Right. And I think there are so many organizations, you know, I won't name any, mm-hmm. but I think there are so many organizations that are actively seeking to set people free. Okay, I'll name one. I think about the mm-hmm. Reform Alliance that's working yeah. with people who were formerly incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a group of people who have served their time, mm. who've, you know, and then they come out and it's so hard to reintegrate into society. Yeah. You know, as a, as a they country. still can't vote like it's after precisely. they serve their time precisely. and they still can't vote. Like if you've paid your debt, why do you, I mean, why are we using that as an think about this, you guys, where especially this is a fact um, impacting black and brown people. And I want to state this is, you know, when you've served your time, you paid your debt in society, then all of those things, it's going to be hard enough to get a job, to get a home and all of things. And then you're still left out of society where you can't vote. And most of the states that this is happening in are formerly slave-holding states. Slave-holding states that are doing this. And this is just another, another form of slavery in another name because we understand that the vote is very important. And so that's just something that you have to look at why this is happening. If someone 20, I know someone that has, they served time, they were in college, got hooked up with someone um, and that, and because something was in their name, they had to serve three years. Mm. They served three years. Now this is as a 19, 20 year old. Mm. They are almost, they're in their 40s now. Have a job, went back to school. Then, you know, uh, I mean, upstanding taxpaying citizen, bought a house and still cannot vote. Mm. You know, and so you have to think about that. You have to think about like, why, why is that, um, why is that the case? And so those are just things to think about. So I just really think, you know, we have to hold on one second. This is it was some background noise. I don't know. OK. OK, this is it's, I got to although I have it's um, Alexa's talking. Oh, of course. <laughs> Of course okay. she is. Yeah. yeah. So that's important for us to have that context of 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 this in this conversation is to make sure that we're not continuously um, oppressing people with unjust laws and who this is impacting. I that's exactly it. And you know, I think our criminal justice um, system, or what some people some people call the 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 legal system, the criminal legal system, um, it mm-hmm. represents the only 
truly unbroken chain of oppression from yeah. slavery time to present. Um, you know, there have been programs that have stopped and started. There have been ways in which Black people have advanced and then been set back. But the unbroken chain that has gone from enslavement uh, to present day is represented by our carceral system. Mm-hmm. And, and and so, you know, I personally am, am I'm, a, I'm a real advocate for for especially people who have who have been or who are trying to reenter into society and, and change their lives and do what's better, but are just running into so many roadblocks. And of course, you know, not being able to vote means, repre- uh, you know, representation, you know, uh, or, or I'm sorry, taxation without representation, mm-hmm. which, you know, our forefathers, the founding fathers mm-hmm. of this country called what? Tyranny, they said. Yes. Taxation without representation is tyranny. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there are, are laws that are not just unjust, they are tyrannical laws. And, mm. and, and so I think it's important to frame it in that context. Yeah. I think the other thing that we can do and think about for Juneteenth um, centers on celebration and the way we celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important that we center yeah. blackness in our celebration for Juneteenth mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. truly what it's about. And whether you are a black person like me or a non-black person, um, I would encourage you to find a local celebration on Juneteenth mm-hmm. and go. And yeah. go as a person who is listening, you know, go as a person mm-hmm. who's willing to receive and to uh, engage as a learner, you know, and, and be in the space without necessarily taking up the air in the room. Can I say that? Can I be honest yes, about say that? say it, yes. Can I be honest that sometimes... <laughs> Don't take um, over. <laughs> now, <laughs> sometimes our, our our brothers and sisters come into the, into the space and they kind of center themselves and take over. Um, but Juneteenth is a time, uh, it's, a, it's a celebration of Black joy and, and Black resilience. And I think it's appropriate for white people and other non-Black people to celebrate with us without centering themselves. And, and I think that's a, a really important part of, of how we can continue to honor um, the legacy of those who did not get an opportunity to see Juneteenth, the first one, or celebrate with us today. Yeah, and I think that context is really important, um, the takeover. So this is not a time, you know, one of the things that happen is we see um, brands that try to take advantage of, you know, because there's a lot of um, buying power in the Black community. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what I would encourage, um, you know, those of us that's in the um, Black and Brown community, because I think this is a holiday for everyone to to celebrate. We want to invite others in. It's not just something that Black people do. We want to celebrate in solidarity. Um, but also, I think, like you said, celebrating Blackness, where I think we, you know, for the month of June, you know, this is a Be the Bridge challenge. Um, you know, use some of your purchasing power to buy from Black-owned um, businesses and support Black-owned um, b- businesses, lift up Black-owned businesses. And so, um, you know, so whether that's, you know, banking, whether that's a store, whether that's a brand, whatever that can be for you. And I know we always, there's always several lists that are posted. That's something that you can do, but we don't want, you know, um, you know, we don't want to get into the, I, I, I can't think of the word right now, but like the, like Bath and Body Works came up with a, um, like a candle <laughs> and different things. Like, what does that have to do? This is the thing. If it's not supporting, um, 
anything like if you're if you're developing something and the money is not going back into the black community or to support black initiatives then you shouldn't be doing anything you shouldn't be creating a necklace to sell so that you can take advantage of um of the holiday unless that money is going straight into the community and i think that's just something we have to 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 say when you when you been marginalized in a in a society, we have the right to say that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, mm-hmm. And when you wealth has been taken from your society, there have been systems that have been created to oppress you and to hold you back. Um, we don't want to make we don't want to create a holiday where this is continuously happening. So, um, what I would challenge be the bridge listeners to do is support. Black businesses during this time, Black creatives, um, you know, hire Black creatives, hire Black speakers, you know, um, you know, these are these are things that you can do for this month of of June. Well, I think it should be all the time. This is how we should think, but at least specifically for this month, you know, um, and I think that's something that diversify your portfolio as it relates to the things that you're investing in, you know, and that you're giving time to, um, you know, one of the questions I always ask people, Garrison, um, you know, there is, this work is very complex and I know Mm -hmm. you deal with, um, grief, you're dealing, you deal with um, um, race, um, faith. There's a lot of things that you talk about. Um, there's also, I know, another um, documentary that you were promoting um, that was on, I want to say it was on Hulu, I can't remember, um, but it was called Lowndes County. Oh, yeah. Paramount and, Plus. Yeah. And it, which, it was on which station? Par- Paramount, Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, yeah. yeah. And I actually um, watched the Lowndes County. Oh, cool. And just, it was just intriguing because this is information that I had no idea yep. the context of where this came from. And, um, you know, and this was like, this was happening in the late 60s. So right. they were still trying to get the vote. And this is in Alabama. So people were still, now the Voting Rights Act had already passed. Mm-hmm. Okay. but the you know the oppressive these rural counties still had control you know and if th- there's no federal government making them um do otherwise and so people were still going into these rural areas to get people registered to vote because people just wouldn't register to vote that is why it's so important mm-hmm. to register and vote and I, if anyone is telling you your vote don't matter they are lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. They are lying. And um and and so um they you know, so just even that whole story, um, how this was happening in the late sixties up into the seventies, you know, and this is the the preamble, I think, into the Black Panther um uh, movement that happened. So that's just an incredible thing um to listen to. But one of the things, you know, when we think about this, it's so complex, it's so heavy. Um sometimes it feels hopeless, you know, but we mm-hmm. like to give hope in this work. You know, and there's there's a lot to lament. There's so much to mm-hmm. lament. I know some people are listening now and they're like, good gracious, like people 
still were able to vote into the 70s in in some places. Like there's so much to lament. What are some things right now that you are personally lamenting? Hmm. That's a really, really great question. Um, You know, personally, you know, I lost my dad to COVID in September of 2021. And it has been the hardest thing that I've ever had to navigate. Part of the reason why I am passionate, I'm going to reach and grab this thing. Yeah. Part of the reason, part of the reason why I'm passionate mm-hmm. about formerly incarcerated people is because my dad, this is him. His mm-hmm. name is Larry. Uh, Larry Hayes, I'm showing Latasha mm-hmm. on the video if you're only listening on audio here. Uh, but he was a volunteer. Uh, he did what was called prison ministry. He mm-hmm. would go up to the, my whole life, I, my whole entire life. I can't remember mm-hmm. a time when this man wasn't taking us up to the Atlanta detention center Mm. and we'd have to sit in the car. That's probably illegal. I don't even know, but we have to like (laughs) sit in the car while he would go in and minister. And, and we didn't Mm. mind. We were kids. We loved being the, you know, it's me and my little brother. We just be in there laughing and enjoying Mm. ourselves, but he, my entire life. And, you know, many of these gentlemen um, were, you know, using their phone, you know, their, Mm. their phone call allowances to call around to people outside Mm. to figure out, Where's Mr. Hayes? Where, where, where's, where's mm. Elder Hayes after he passed? And so uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm passionate about this stuff because of him. And I've learned so much because of him. And I love him very, very much. And I'm still mm. missing my dad. Um, mm. And so I, I lament that. I'm uh, lamenting the proliferation of guns in our country mm. and the way that has turned living and doing everyday things into a profound threat mm. and it, to walk around and just see guns everywhere is so traumatizing it is not the world it is this is not normal and it doesn't have to be this way and yet from children my little nieces and nephews um to friends and everyone's just afraid that they might die mm. from gun violence and it feels as yeah. though nothing is ever going to be done about it that feel that is extremely exhausting and mm. i am full of lament over that um those are the two yeah. things that come to my mind what about, i'm curious yeah. what are you lamenting right now personally you know we we sh- i don't know if you know this about me but i lost my father in 2021 i did not um, know that to covid also I yeah, know January 2021. Wow. So my father, Jay Morrison, who um, was 68, um, wow. you know, you know, no pre existing conditions, you know, he um, passed from COVID. So I that is know something. That. I'm so sorry. I'm so, yeah, I, I, I'm I, so sorry. I, you know, hearing your story, I was just even with someone um, last week who had just lost their dad. And I think there's this like, the one thing with COVID, there's like this community, collective community of grief in mm-hmm. that sense of, mm-hmm. you know, we've, the world has moved on, but there's so many of us just still picking up the pieces. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and I'm really thinking of a way, um, Garrison, how those lives that were lost can continuously be honored, mm-hmm. you know, because there was so much, um, political mess around, well, let me just say partisan mess that was Mm -hmm. around um, just, just COVID that it, 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 it almost overshadowed the lives. Um, One of the things that I remember, um, I think it was um, 
after Biden was elected, they put they did this memorial on. Um, I didn't. I never got a chance to go see it, but on the mm-hmm. um, um, at the the monument. They mm-hmm. did these monuments of flags of representing the lives, and I and I think they do like a, a lighting ceremony like each day. But it's like it's one of those things that you know we want to remember these lives. I mean, because they were almost in America, almost a million lives, you know, mm-hmm. and then collectively around the world, more than that, you know, of people who were lost to COVID, you know, mm-hmm. that the we have kind of just moved on, but there are still families that are grieving. There are children that lost both parents, you know? And so, um, so yeah, I, I th- that is something, um, some of the same things that you're lamenting is, is probably up on the top of my list, including um, gun violence, because like this is very triggering. Um, like even 4th of July, I don't like to hear the, yep. the, 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 the lighting of fireworks now. I don't like to go. I used to love going to looking mm. at fireworks, um, but I don't want to hear the sound because it's real triggering. And now, you know, even as I was walking my dog yesterday, I'm always thinking, and this is my mind, and this is just me, and, t- and maybe, but I'm always thinking about if something happens, where do I run? Where's the exit door? When I go to a place, where's the exit door? Because that is the life that we live here mm-hmm. in um, in America. Um, I'm I'm headed to um, Spain for my birthday um, mm-hmm. in in a few weeks, and I was like, when I went to Korea for my birthday, I'm not my birthday for with a friend um, in the fall. There was this, although I am. Uh, like dark chocolate tall <laughs> woman walking around Korea with braids. I stood out out like a sore thumb um, in a sense, but I felt safe. Mm. You know, and there was this feeling of it, it's weird because you you no one else is like you, but there's this security or safety that I felt there. And, you know, even going to Spain, you know, they're talking about, oh, you know, pickpocketers and stuff. I said, I can deal with a pickpocket. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, I don't want to have to deal with AK-47. Right, you know what I'm right. saying? Assault rifle, you know? And so um, I-, I can survive a pickpocketer, you know? Um, and so it's like, I'm almost like looking forward to going and just getting some respite from mm-hmm. the trauma of of fear in a sense, you know, and that's something that, you know, and I'm thinking me almost 50, this is something that I'm having to think about. I can imagine how our kids are feeling when they, I don't have to go into a school every day. You know what I'm saying? I'm not on a college campus every day, you know, so I can imagine the trauma that they are having to live over and over and trauma lives in our body. Like there's impact of that. There's generational trauma. And we don't know what this is going to look like in 20 years with this generation that's having to come up like this, you know, and we're not doing anything to prepare them or to deal with the trauma now. We're we're actually cutting services for mental health. So I think those are some of the same things. (laughs) You know, I got, I have a couple of things to say. Uh, the first thing is 
I'm going to keep, I'm going to stay on topic for the first thing. <laughs> okay. And, and, you know, I, I don't, you know, we are incredibly adaptive yeah. beings. We are able yeah. to truly adapt to our environment, which um, in some regards is uh, great. And in others, it, it's what makes progress so slow. Sometimes we just get yeah. used to the way that things are and we aren't willing yeah. to change it. Um, but I look at a lot of young people. I get to work with a ton of people in Gen Z and, and even Gen Alpha. And I'm, I'm looking mm -hmm. at them and I can't help but notice that there is sometimes a more flat affect. There mm -hmm. is almost a kind of like what I interpret to be a bit of like this kind of like disassociation at times um, with, with, with just some, some of the people that I've engaged with. I think they are incredibly smart, socially conscious. But sometimes there is a flatness that I can only attribute to that adapt that adaptation that they're having to do growing up in a world where it's just normal to run, hide, fight. Like they learn these things because the threat of a school shooting is ever present everywhere, everywhere in this country. And 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 I just I hope that we are being um just conscientious of the world that we're creating for the children um, that are growing. It, it just concerns me. I'm profoundly concerned yeah. about yeah. that. Okay. I, can I say the second thing though? Yeah. I hope these people look look you up. I, I know they listen to you, <laughs> but I hope they know what you look like. You said almost 50? No way. No way. That's... I will be 50. Yes. No. Why would you get on here and just tell you know, tell the you know. untruth? You know, that's crazy. Crack. It don't Brown it don't, don't crack. Beige don't fade. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, the Lord is blessing. The Lord is He's a shield and a protector with yeah. all that black folks been through. Oh my goodness. Yeah. No. Congratulations. You, Congratulations. Thank that's you. a that's a I blessing. I will be 50 June the 23rd. So I just hey. told the whole be the bridge community. <laughs> that's amazing. My birthday is June That's another 28th. reason. Yeah. That's also our, our anniversary of our organization. Very cool. And so that's the other reason for the Be the Bridge Challenge of supporting um, Black businesses for the month of June. So we're going to talk more about that. But um, okay, so Garrison, what's bringing you hope? And we're going to close on this one. What, what's bringing you hope? Um, I think that there are so many people doing this work and interested in this work. I am amazed every time I post a video online and it gets views. I'm just like, wow, people are really interested in this. And I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm in Nashville. I just saw, um, I was up at the Capitol um, for when when the Tennessee State Capitol when Justin Jones and Justin Pearson mm -hmm. were expelled from the legislature. Mm -hmm. And it was a dark day for Tennessee. And mm -hmm. yet, I mm -hmm. felt profound hope. Oh my mm -hmm. goodness, I was mm -hmm. overjoyed. I teared, it brought tears to my eyes mm -hmm. seeing these young brothers stand with such mm -hmm. dignity and strength yeah. And speak truth to power mm. in a way that it it meant everything to me. And afterwards, you know, Justin Pearson met with his family. His parents are pastors, and they just started praying this prayer of of celebration 
and mm. glorifying God. And I did not know this, but I was get, I mean, I didn't I didn't realize that I would feel so overwhelmed mm. with just the the feeling of I felt, you know, it, it I can't even I, it's hard to even put it into words what yeah. I felt. Just this yeah. sense that no, there's still people committed to this work. Yes. And there's still folks willing to stand for what's right, though the heavens may fall, no matter mm. the consequences. And then seeing all of the folks, and let me tell you, it was majority not Black folks. Let me tell you, it was majority mm-hmm. white people at the Capitol. Showing I was up. there. I showing up. No, not yeah. only showing up for the Justins and standing in solidarity with them, but showing up for the children who were murdered at Covenant yes. School here in Nashville yeah. and saying, we want change. It it filled me. It filled my cup, which has been emptying over the years of seeing. I was at yeah. the insurrection on the day of the insurrection. I was there mm. watching it, a, a witness to it. Um, I've seen so many things over the year, over the last several years, mm-hmm. even to your point, the ways in which you know COVID has been uh, politicized and even having people in my own community refuse to get vaccinated because of misinformation. Yeah. There's so many things that just like were was mm. really draining my my cup. But to see people stand for what's right in a right. state that most people have kind of just written off as is, you know, not going to do what's right. To see yeah. people standing for what's right was so encouraging and filled me with uh, so much hope. Yeah, and I think hope is really important to the longevity of this work. Um, people have to see because sometimes the the loudest voices are not the um, majority voices, and mm. so um, so some of the the things that the pushback that you're seeing now, everybody doesn't feel that way, you mm. know. And there is a community, a thriving Be the Bridge community. We're just one part. Like there's so many great people out there doing amazing work that we lock arms with. But people are leaning into this. People want to know truth. And I'll I'll just never forget this 80-something-year-old woman that came up to me in um, Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> um, and I think it was Friend... Um, Friend, it was called Friendly Ch- Friends Church, something about Friends Church. I forget, but I, t- I wrote about them in my first book, but I don't forgot the name of the church. But anyway, <laughs> they're still down there doing work. But she came up to me and she grabbed my hand. And we had just done a training, like a, um, a two-day training. Um, and she grabbed my hand and I didn't know what she was going to do. I was like, uh-oh, she's about to hit me. <laughs> you know. Um, but she just said, thank you. And she was just thanking me for sharing and giving historical context because we live in homogenous bubbles. And because it was on purpose, there was a strategy behind people not knowing truth, just like the things that we see now. There is a strategy behind you not knowing truth. Mm-hmm. And um, and she was just grateful. And if an eighty-year-old woman, eighty-something, she was eighty-something-year-old woman, could feel grateful for knowing truth, um, what more can we do? Like, if it's never too late to to change, to change mm-hmm. your mind, to transformation. God is at work. Mm-hmm. God is at work. And, I, and, and God was at work then. God is at work now. God is in control, even when it feels like it's uncontrollable. Oh, yes. And so those are the things that I have to remind myself of in this work. And the, those, are the, those are the reasons why I continue to do this work, you know, because I always tell people like, look, I love Target. 
I I I'll go work at Target. Like I mean, <laughs> I ain't got to do this, you know. <laughs> like, right, right. Like you know. But at the end of the day, like this is the work um, that I've been called to. Mm. And um, and so I am hopeful for people like you that are using your media talents. Um, um, you know, I ain't go. I, I I was gonna just really try to date myself and fade with the tic tac. <laughs> you know, to, that's how my my aunt used to call Facebook uh, yeah, my, yeah. my book or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know how. Um, but just just how we're using our collective talents and abilities to lead people toward um, this this greater truth of flourishing for all God's people, you know, and that's the liberty and justice for all, mm-hmm. you know, you know, may it be on earth just as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Like those are just the reminders. So I'm grateful for you, Garrison. It grateful. was great talking to you. This is not going to be the last time, Good. you know, I'm always in um, Nashville. Good. And so we need to get together and do something. So could, I can't wait to meet your, your wife and just all the things excited about what's happening. I I would love to hear more about the stuff that you're doing with um, Reform. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. And I can't wait. I'm going to hold you to this. If I see you in Nashville, I'm like swiping up on the story. Like, what's going on here? What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us on the Be The Bridge podcast. Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to bethebridge.com. Again, that's bethebridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer. And transcribed by Sarah Knatzer. Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production.